Thank you, Dr. Cushman. What a delight to be here at BJU Seminary, where I uh, graduated from many moons ago, but not in this building. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. In Exodus 16, God promised to take care of Israel by giving them manna each morning. He instructed them to gather only what they needed for the day. They were not allowed to store extra manna for succeeding days except for Sabbath. Each day, every day, they were to trust God for the manna, and God always provided. God was teaching Israel to trust him, not just in the long haul to the promised land, but to trust him each day for all of that day. Here in our very familiar text, Solomon is teaching, he's commanding his son to trust in the Lord. Just as his father David no doubt had already taught him in passages like Psalm 37, where he said, to fret not because of evildoers, but to trust God. You know, it's so easy for us to fret, isn't it? To worry, to become angry about things that are beyond our control. There are many things about which we get frustrated today. Just just turn on the news and watch for about 60 seconds, and, and you'll be frustrated. But ultimately, we choose one way or the other. We either fret or we trust. So which are you doing this morning? Which are you doing? It's also easy for us to displace trusting God by trusting something or someone else. Our first parents lived in a perfect world. They had everything they needed but they shifted their trust from God to the serpent, and their children have been doing the same ever since. Why do we do that? Why is it that so often I trust myself rather than God? I'm sure you don't have that problem. You know, as seminarians, as those in graduate school, I know you have a lot going on here. I remember those days very well. And you chaplains, I I know you have much going on in your lives. Solomon says here in this text to trust in the Lord. And he thereby explains to and exhorts his son in the essential need to always and altogether trust God alone. You know, I've actually thought in the past that it'd be nice if I could have enough faith for one day that would just kind of last me for the rest of the week. You know, we could kind of coast along on that that one great day that we had faith. But it, it doesn't work that way. Like the manna, we must wake up every morning and trust God anew and afresh for that day, for this day, for the whole day. So, are you trusting God today? right now, this very moment, or, or is your mind racing over all the things that must be done today? 
distracting you from trusting the very one who can help you accomplish all of those things. Solomon says in our text, we must trust in the Lord. It is a command for you chaplains in the military. It is an order. We are to trust him in three ways. First of all, we're to trust him altogether. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. This is the positive part of the command. We are to trust God wholeheartedly with our entire being. The heart is our innermost core, that from which who we are really flows. It is the center of our emotions, our intellect, and our will. We are to trust God from within. Listen, my friends, God is always worthy of our trust, even though we cannot at time discern his ways in our life. This means, I think, that we should find ourselves in prayer often, throughout the day, as we discern his will for the struggles of that day in which we're going through. Lord, what do you desire in fill in the blank? You know, I've learned from our vice president, Chaplain Ron Benzing, to trust and pray about everything. We're often in the AGC home office, uh, reminiscing some of the problems and wrongs that are happening to our chaplains and how we can help them and be advocates for them. And at, and at some point, I get really frustrated, and he says, let's pray about this. And we do, and my frustration turns to peace. You know, I viewed with awe others who have had great faith, and they've been a wonderful an example to me. And while I'm grateful for their good example, they cannot trust God for me. I must trust God with my heart not theirs. So, what is called you, what has God called you to do today? Where does he want you to serve? Uh, maybe you know where God wants you to go, but he hasn't shared with you all the details about what he wants you to do, and you're still waiting. So you begin to ask yourself some probing questions, some doubting questions. Can God protect me in the place where he has called me to serve? Or maybe the better question is, will God protect me in the place that he's called me to serve? Will he provide for my family if I risk submitting to his will? When our innermost being altogether trusts the one who is worthy of our trust, our fretting dissolves and it's replaced with peace. If someone knows they are where God wants them to be, doing what God wants them to do, that person need not fear, even if it's in the midst of a combat zone in a faraway place. We have a chaplain aboard a destroyer in the Red Sea, even as I'm preaching this message. That ship has been targeted regularly by drones and missiles. He emailed me a couple of weeks ago. He said the pucker factor is quite high aboard his ship. He's just thrilled to be there to tell his sailors about Jesus. And he's led several to the Lord and baptized at least two. He's trusting the Lord. He knows God put him there in the middle of the danger, and he doesn't have to fear. 
For the God he serves is and was the sovereign one in his birth, his life, and in his death. We can and must altogether trust this God. But Solomon doesn't stop there. We are to altogether trust this God alone. And this is the negative part of the command. We're to trust him exclusively. Do not lean onto your own understanding, the negative counterpart to the command. Adam and Eve leaned on their own understanding and and when they were deceived and, and their lives were ruined, and so were ours. But you know, not leaning on our own understanding does not mean that we don't use our mind. It doesn't mean that we don't think and plan and prepare. A great Old Testament example of this right balance is Joseph in Genesis 39. Unjustly in prison, Joseph interprets the dream of the cupbearer and says he'll be restored before Pharaoh, and then he exhorts the cupbearer to remember him and be an advocate for him because of the cruel betrayal and unjust punishment and imprisonment that he was in. Now, why would he do that? Joseph is a superior example of God's providence in the Old Testament. Nowhere in the text do we see him complaining about the raw deal he had received. He is fully trusting God, even in the horrible circumstance he finds himself in. But this doesn't mean that he's not actively using his own mind to secure justice and to do what's right. Joseph isn't a fatalist waiting for the next blow to hit. D.A. Carson said, robust biblical theism encourages us to trust the goodness of sovereign providential God while confronting and opposing the evil that takes place in this fallen world. Trusting God does not mean that we do not try to do what's right where we can. We just don't lean on our own understanding when we try to do it. We lean on him. We don't allow the wisdom of the world to displace trusting our God. You know, the military, the military is always trying to find a secular way uh, to bring to its troops all of the wonderful morale-building benefits of a healthy relationship in Jesus Christ. Only they don't want God, and they don't want Christ. They're leaning on their own understanding. They're trying to game the system. Joseph is a positive example. Now let me give a sobering negative one. Sometimes we think that we just need to help God out a little bit. We're trusting him, but but maybe he's not moving as, as fast as we thought. And, uh, and, and so we lean a little on our own understanding. We want to grease the skids a little for God. He's not moving fast enough. Sarah wanted to help her husband have a son. She thought she was helping God out when she gave Abram her handmaid, handmaid Hagar, resulting in Ishmael's birth. It was the world's common practice in the day. The mess that resulted is still warring in the Middle East today. We always mess up God's plan when we lean on our own understanding 
and try to do it our way. So Solomon exhorts, he commands us to altogether trust God alone, but he's not done. We are to always altogether trust God alone. This is experientially. In everything we do, in all your ways, acknowledge him. Who we are on the inside is always fleshed out in what we do in life. Our ways are impacted by our heart, where we go and what we do when we get there. In all your ways, Solomon says, acknowledge him. Do you do this? There are no things too big or too small that God cannot and does not want to handle with us. So don't go it alone. You need him. You will always need him in everything you do. Dutch theologian, statesman, and journalist Abraham Kuyper said, said it this way, In the total expanse of human life, there is not a single square inch of which the Christ who alone is sovereign, does not declare, that is mine. All of your ways belong to him. You belong to him. Trust him in all of your ways. And you know, when you're, when you're concerned about what to do next and you don't have peace about it, you just need to hum that song to yourself. God will make a way. When there seems to be no way, he works in ways we cannot see. He will make a way for me. He will be my guide, hold me closely to his side. With love and strength for each new day, he will make a way. He will make a way. When we trust God always and altogether alone, we will watch with stunned awe as he directs our paths. You know, you need God to direct your paths. I need God to direct my paths. And I praise God that he has in my past. Now, I want to give some examples of what trust means. Trusting is trusting God in the midst of danger. This is the ship of the chaplain that I mentioned earlier. The picture on the left is the close-in weapons system of that ship. That sea whiz has shot down missiles that were targeted at that ship. That sea whiz is the last, the last stand of uh, the last defense of that ship to protect itself. In other words, the missiles of that ship, the five-inch guns of that ship, and the aircraft flying over that ship were unable to stop the missile inbound. And the sea whiz, the last measure of defense, was used to shoot the missile down. The sea whiz on that ship has shot down missiles. So when he says the pucker factor is quite high, he's, he's, you can hear that thing go off all across the ship. I'm going to tell you, Matt Zajac is leading people to Christ on that ship. And I praise God that he doesn't fear the danger. He's trusting the Lord in the midst of danger as he fulfills God's calling in his life. Chaplain Jonathan Stevens, who's here in this room today, served as a pastor in two different churches for 10 years. It took him forever to finish his MDiv, but uh, he believed, something's taking some of you forever to finish your MDiv. He believed that God was calling him to be an army chaplain. 
and God opened the door. And over here at Fort Jackson, this is a picture of some of the troops he has preached to over the last two years. He has preached to thousands of them, and hundreds of them have made professions in faith in Christ, and, uh, and, and he's baptized them. So this is about trusting God to open the right door for ministry for you, wherever that may be. We trust in the Lord to do that. We must trust God through the obstacles. Jermaine Smith is a graduate of this seminary before it was accredited. He has a medical condition that doesn't allow him to be a, a military chaplain, but he feels God's call to, to reach veterans with the gospel. And so he earnestly believed that God was calling him to be a, a VA chaplain. For five years, he, he endured one obstacle after another. And about four months ago, he was hired full-time to serve as a VA chaplain uh, in, in Fort Wayne, Indiana. I praise God for the open door. He trusted God through the obstacles, and, and God opened the door. We need to trust God to show us the right place to serve. We have a Navy chaplain in this room who thought he wanted to be an Army chaplain. He had served in the Army for 15 years, and he just thought it was a no-brainer. The Army ought to hire him to be a chaplain. Well, yes, you know, our government doesn't always do things that way. And, uh, and so he applied to the Navy, and, and, and lo and behold, the Navy took him, and here he is on his first tour, uh, and he decides to teach a, a class on baptism. And while he's teaching the class on baptisms to students, three of them realize they, they don't know the Lord and they need Christ, and he leads them to the Lord, and here he is baptizing them in a CB backhoe in Gulfport, <laughs> in Gulfport Mississippi. We must trust God to remain focused in our calling regardless of colleagues who persecute us or place obstacles before us. And here's Chaplain John Eastman baptizing a new believer at NAS Pensacola. I praise God for John Eastman's faithfulness uh, through the difficulties of a long career in trying to be faithful to Christ. We must trust God to find creative ways to reach the loss. Uh, Stu Kazarovich preaches in chapels, he builds congregations, and uh, people are saved in these, in, in these chapel services, but that's not enough for Stu Kazarovich. There are thousands of people at Fort Knox that need the Lord, and so he prays, Lord, help me find a creative way to meet them. And he gets the army to pay to bust them to the Ark and the Creation Museum, and, and, and here they are, and on the way up, he stands in the front of the bus and he briefs them on what they're going to see, i.e., he gives them a context for understanding the creation and, and the flood. It's Mars Hill ministry, and I praise God uh, for his creativity in doing so. We must trust God with our family. Uh, uh, Chaplain Stephen Kim is a soul winner in his battalion. He's led many to the Lord. His CO loves him and gives him opportunities to speak on moral and ethical leadership all the time, and he does so from the scriptures uh, with, with, with the approval of his commanding officer. But he also has medical conditions in his family members that are very serious. So we trust God in his calling in our life, even in the midst of family difficulties, and God provides and cares. We trust God to reach people outside of our church who are highly skilled and trained, but who don't know they need God. And here's Chaplain John Ledbetter preaching in front of an, F, an F-15 fighter uh, to members of his squadron. A tremendous opportunity to share the gospel 
with those with whom he serves. We trust God to help us reach a very few in very remote places. Here's Chaplain Donnie Kime on an icebreaker in Antarctica. Not very many people attend his services. <laughs> there aren't very many people there. It's Gaza Road Ministry. But I praise God he was there to speak the truth. We trust God in uncertain times. Joe Studdard, graduate of this seminary, is in Poland now with his battalion. Uh, they're there in support of what's going on in Ukraine. I praise God for the opportunity uh, Joe Studdard has. But not just the young guys, the old guys too. The old guys have to trust God in their elder years to serve. And here's Chaplain Bob Freiberg teaching at the Central African Baptist University. Some of the men in this picture will become Zambian Army chaplains. And the AGC is sending retired chaplains to, to teach block courses to help them become Army chaplains. Praise God for continued ministry long after we retire from the military services. And then we trust God for new opportunities because of connections with people we made long ago. Ron Benzing served for 25 years uh, in, in Germany. And he knows many people from the Eastern Bloc nations, and, and, and he has been instrumental in helping stand up a Baptist chaplaincy in, in the Ukraine. These are all opportunities that God provides as we trust him to open the doors when they need to be opened. The command is to always and altogether trust God alone. And now I'd like to close with an illustration of God's providence. When I joined the Navy long ago, Baptist chaplains were a dime a dozen. And if you were an independent Baptist chaplain from an unaccredited seminary, i.e. Bob Jones, you were even less important than the Big B Baptist chaplains. And so I knew I would have no choice in where I went to serve in the Navy. I knew those choices would be made for me. But I also knew that no choice would be made for me without God's sovereign hand involved in it. And everywhere I served, it was clear that the Navy did not send me there, but God sent me there. One of the places I served was Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. And during Operation Desert Shield and Desert Storm, I deployed to the northern deserts of Saudi Arabia in 2nd Medical Battalion. 2nd Medical Battalion was a battalion of Marines and Navy corpsmen. And when we mobilized, we doubled in size to 1,300, and we brought 120 Navy doctors. And we deployed to the northern deserts of Saudi Arabia. We were living in connex boxes and tents. That was the environment. And so here are these Navy doctors. One day, they're in a beautiful naval hospital in the United States with air conditioning and heat. It's sterile. It's clean. And they're, doing their, they're practicing their skills on patients. The next day, they're in the northern deserts of Saudi Arabia, in the sand, living in a tent. And I never met a bigger group of whiners in my whole life. <laughs> but I want to tell you, I was their chaplain. And so I went by their tents on a regular basis, and I tried to encourage them. I eventually got the, the commanding officer to get the general to come to speak to them. And, and the general basically had to say to them, don't you understand that because you're not practicing your skills, my Marines aren't being killed, and that's a good thing? When he put it in perspective, then they finally understood. Each of their tents had a sign out in front of it. It said Camelot, and then it had a number. Only doctors would come up with such a name 
uh, for their living facilities. Well, one of the doctors I met was a pediatric cardiologist named Dr. Farrell. Dr. Farrell was from Bethesda Naval Hospital in Bethesda, Maryland. Now, the Navy only had two pediatric cardiologists, one from Bethesda and the other one from Balboa Naval Hospital. And, and so here's this pediatric cardiologist in the sand doing nothing. And I would visit him, and he would share with me, you know, the Navy lost X hundred thousands of dollars this week because I'm not there taking care of my patients. And, and Dr. Farrell and I became good friends, and, uh, and, and we had a wonderful relationship uh, in Saudi Arabia. The war ended. We didn't have thousands of casualties. Every, all the doctors went back to their hospitals, and, and 35 days later, I was on a Navy ship deployed again. I, I was on that ship for three years. I was gone over two years. And uh, in the course of time, about two years into that tour, I get this package off the coast of Chile saying that I've been selected for postgraduate school and that I was to apply to three schools and go. So, um, so I applied, got accepted. We finished the deployment around South America, came back to Norfolk. And then I get a phone call saying, uh, Steve, I'm sorry. The Steve Brown we chose was on a cruiser on the West Coast and you're on a cruiser on the East Coast, uh, you're not going to be able to go to postgraduate school. So I came back to the ship from, it was Friday afternoon when I got the call. I came back to the ship, told it to the XO. The XO was furious. He said, let's go tell the captain. So we went up to the stateroom. I told the captain. The captain had been the director of professional development at the Naval Academy before he came to my ship, and he couldn't believe it. He said, chaplain, I'll take care of this. I said, sir, I, 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 I don't want to win the battle and lose the war. Be very careful who, who you offend as a chaplain because that can come back on me. He said, chaplain, I'll take care of it. He, he wrote a P4 message, a personal four message to the chief of chaplains, and he CC'd every admiral in his chain of command. <laughs> and he explained to them that he understood the mistake and that they, he said they ought to send me now, but if they couldn't send me, they recommended extending me eight more months on the ship and they could send me next year. So, so, so long story short, I went to postgraduate school the next year. The Navy didn't want to send me to postgraduate school, but God did. While we were at Great Lakes Naval Station, I went to Trinity International in Deerfield, and uh, we began our overseas screening to go to Iwakuni, Japan. We knew that was where God was sending us. We began in January. We had our final medical meeting in, in June, 10 days before we get on the plane to fly. And in that meeting, um, uh, a, a Navy Medical Service Corps commander comes in and says, Chaplain, your whole family is good to go to Iwakuni except for your twins. They have heart murmurs, and they did not pass overseas screening. I was devastated. I could go to Iwakuni without my family for two years. I'd, I'd, just, I'd just been away from them for two years. There's no way I was going to do that. There were, there, there were no appeals. Uh, the, the, it, it, was, it was a matter-of-factly, quite frankly. And so rather dejectedly, I'm walking out of the hospital with my family. And who walks through the front door? Dr. Farrell, the pediatric cardiologist who's stationed 600 miles away at Bethesda Naval Hospital. He just happens to be at Great Lakes Naval Hospital visiting his pediatric cardiology patients for one day. And he walks through the door as I'm walking out. 
He sees me, he yells, Chaplain Brown, and he runs up, shakes my hand, and then gives me a big bear hug, and then asks me where I've been and what I'm doing, and I, I explained to him that I was on a ship and a PG school, and now I'm supposed to be going to Iwakuni, but my, my twins have heart murmurs. He stops and he looks at his nurse and he says, I'm going to examine the chaplain's two children. And the nurse looks at him and says, Doctor, your schedule is full. There's no room for you to see the chaplain's two children. He looks back at her and says, I have a lunch hour, don't I? She said, yes, you get me a sandwich. I'm examining the chaplain's two children. So we went home and came back at lunch and we're in there telling sea stories about Saudi Arabia, and, and he's got this ultrasound on my twin's heart, and he's taking video uh, footage of it, and, and he signs them off as good to go, and we go to Japan. I'm going to tell you what. That is one of the most incredible moments in my life. It was a moment that God taught me, I direct your paths. Now, I believe God directs our paths all the time. And most of the time, we don't know it. We don't perceive it. But I was so thankful that God did that. We went to Iwakuni and had a wonderful ministry at Marine Corps Air Station. And, and then I was sent to a ship that nobody wanted to go, the, uh, uh, the Bella Wood and LHA, and we made a no-notice combat deployment to the Persian Gulf. All that happened in Japan set me up to eventually be promoted to captain in the Navy. You know, people sometimes come to me and say, man, you did really good in the Navy. What did you do to make captain? Wrong question. Wrong question. What did God do through my life that caused a system that didn't want me to keep me in and to continue to give me opportunities to serve? Now, now I want you to think about it. If I would have walked out of that hospital five minutes earlier or five minutes later, I wouldn't have met Dr. Farrell. If any of the other 120 doctors that were with me in Saudi Arabia walked through that door, none of them could help me. It had to be a pediatric cardiologist, and the Navy only had two, and he walked through that door at exactly the right time when I needed him. God orchestrated those events. And, uh, you know, if he hadn't been there, I would not be at AGC, and I would not be preaching to you today. God would have directed my life a completely different way. He directs our paths, and I stand in awe today at what he has done. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not unto your own understanding, in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. Students, I know what you're doing is hard. I know it's hard to pay bills. I know all of that. But if God placed you here, this is the stewardship he has for you right now. You just trust him and be faithful in it and watch what he does to provide for all of your needs and direct you in the way that you ought to go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for that moment in my life when you reminded me that you are the one directing our, our, my steps, my paths. And Lord, I pray that you'd help some of the students here and, and, and Lord, even some of my chaplains to recognize that even though they're in places that are difficult and frustrating,
that it's no accident that you placed them there, that you've called them there. And so, Lord, help them to trust you, to always, altogether trust you alone right now in the stewardship that you've entrusted to them. And then, Lord, may they with awe wonder at how you direct their paths. And, Lord, for those who are discouraged and need to see your power, I pray that in your grace you'd give them the opportunity to let them see what you're doing as you did for me with Dr. Farrell long ago. To this end, Lord, glorify yourself and to continue to, and continue to prepare your servants to serve you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.